When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So I have a handful of different topics that I want to get to today for my weekly wrap-up video. I'll get to the recent price action heading into the weekend in the gold and silver markets here in a second. But first off, I wanted to start off with a tweet that was sent out late last night by our president, by Donald Trump, on his personal Twitter account regarding the dollar, Bitcoin, cryptos, and Facebook's new virtual currency, which they'll be rolling out, I think, in 2020, if I remember correctly, uh, which is also known as Libra. Now, I'll just start off by this. I'll just read the, the series of tweets. It's just three uh, off to you guys. You know what I'm, I'm referring to here. Quote, I'm not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. Unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior, including drug trade and other illegal activity. Similarly, Facebook's Libra virtual currency will have little standing or dependability. If Facebook and other companies want to become a bank, they must see- seek a new banking charter and become subject to all banking regulations. Just like other banks, both national and international. We have only one real currency in the USA, and it's stronger than ever, both dependable and reliable. It is by far the most dominant currency anywhere in the world, and it will always stay that way. It is called the United States dollar. So I'll put it this way. There are some very valid criticisms of cryptocurrencies. There's a reason that I call my channel Silver Fortune and not Bitcoin fortune or something like that because you know there there's some real valid benefits to cryptocurrencies especially compared to our our classic fiat system right now the dollar and, and euro and whatnot. With that being said, there's still some serious uh, um, problems with it. Valid criticisms that can be made, including some that he made here uh, that they're highly volatile. That doesn't make for good money. That they're based on thin air. Um, and he talks about Facebook's Libra and that it's going to have little standing or dependability. But but the problem with that is that many of those things are, are kind of true for the dollar as well, especially the whole based on thin air. I mean, he talks about the dollar being the most dominant currency in the world. That's always going to stay that way. Uh, well, first of all, it's not. I mean, history shows us that, that world reserve currencies, they come and they go, right? It was the, the British uh, pound before it was... Uh, the dollar, and before that, I want to say it was the the Dutch. Um, I forget exactly what what denomination, but it's not here to stay, and it is based on thin air. And, and what really, I guess, is frustrating about this is, is two different things. First of all, I'm not going to name names, but there were some people actually coming out saying that this is a part of Trump's 4D chess game, which is not. I mean, basically that that by calling out Bitcoin, he's drawing attention to it, and that he's using reverse psychology to encourage people that dislike him to be a fan of cryptocurrencies all of a sudden. No, I, I mean, I get the strategy, I, but no, I don't think that's it. I mean, Trump has been very consistent in his support for the dollar throughout his time in office. Yeah, at times he's called for a weaker dollar, right? That's kind of the road he's on right now, but not the end of the dollar, right? He, he still is a big fan of it versus other other you know currencies and whatnot. Uh, but the other thing that frustrates me 
is is the fact that that he is calling out cryptocurrencies and, and Facebook's Libra, which again, very valid criticism can be made for them about them. Uh, but but it's almost as if he's he's trying to block them out. Now he's not actually talking about um, uh, making cryptocurrency illegal or, or regulating it, though he does talk about how it can be used for illegal and unlawful behavior, which is. A ridiculous claim like yeah that's true but that's true for paper dollars that's true for uh, precious metals that's true for a lot of different goods on the black market i mean do you want to know what currency is probably used more than any other currency uh around the world never mind just the united states is exclude the united states from it right what currency is used the most for unlawful unlawful or or you know criminal actions it's the dollar right Right, Colombian drug lords. Like, what do they transact? And it's probably in many cases the dollar, right? Uh, and I think that's kind of true the world over, right? So never mind what these cryptocurrencies. I mean, they're they're small potatoes compared to what the dollar, uh, the dollar is a monopoly on on criminal uh, behavior and, and the drug trade and whatnot. Um, anyway, so it's almost like he's pushing in on on cryptocurrencies, which even if I'm not a fan of them, I don't think they should be regulated to that extent. And then also Facebook, that you know, Facebook is. He's got a he's got a point. Facebook may be trying to get around some some regulations by calling this a virtual currency or a cryptocurrency versus just becoming a bank. But but in that area, he again is pushing back on them, saying we need to basically you know regulate this. And then he goes on to say in the final tweet here of the three that the dollar is the most dominant currency by far, the most dominant currency anywhere in the world. And if that's the case, then it should be able to stand on its own merit with competition, right? We don't need to regulate cryptos or Libra out of existence, right? We don't need to place sales tax. This is a comment I got the other day. Sales tax on precious metal sales, right? Or capital gains taxes on precious metal uh, profits, right? Which is ridiculous. I mean, uh, it, uh, if a currency is truly dominant, it should be able to stand on its own merit. It shouldn't need help from the U.S. government and other governments in order to, to you know, make sure that it it has you know, hegemony essentially right so really just a, a i don't know and that's i mean you know my longtime listeners know that i'm not somebody to just sit here and bash trump all episode long i mean i i take it uh, piece by piece right some of his policies some of his actions i like right what he's doing with north korea big fan of that right and what he's doing with some other things like i can name some different things that i'm, I'm a fan of and then sure he's better than than some alternatives but I'm also more than willing to call out things that are that I do not stand for, that I disagree with, that are against my own principles. But anyways, moving on, uh, I did want to talk here about uh, uh, silver and gold and, and their price action heading into the weekend. Now, what I found really interesting was, kind of going back to my episode earlier this week, that gold continues to defy expectations. It's actually closing the week uh, well above 1400 I'm pretty sure that's a gain on the week. I want to say it went into this week uh below 1400 maybe it's 1410 i forget but it's it's about 1415 heading into the weekend uh and actually as you know friday progressed it, it actually caught quite a bit of a bid heading up from 1407 1408 all the way up to to where it closed at 1415 now i guess what that signals to me is is i wonder if heading into this weekend if this is a weekend in which traders are wanting to cover themselves with some sort of extra um, safety, right? Hedge, 
against what could potentially happen over the weekend, whether it's China trade deal or the Fed or the Middle East. I mean, there's plenty to always be hedged against. And sometimes that's why we see a bit heading into Friday afternoon because traders do not want to be caught um, overweight risk assets or short gold uh, heading into a weekend that could be full of, of uh, turmoil. Uh, but but that's where it stands, uh, fourteen fifteen dollars and uh, fourteen hundred fifteen dollars and and silver, uh, you know again rallied a little bit heading into close uh, at about fifteen dollars and twenty cents. So so they rise on the day, but again still lagging gold obviously. Um, now heading back to what I said earlier that gold continues to defy expectations. Uh, I, I think I even made a reference in that video that I made earlier this week. To, to Craig Hemke uh, from Turd Ferguson Metals uh, report, uh, TFMR, and, and his take on, on gold this week, you know, last week, his take basically was that this is going to be a rough week for gold. It potentially could be, and that if we, you know, can close above some key levels, you know, and, and not fall back to, to, you know, a key support at like 1360 or something like that, that that'd be positive. And yet here we are uh, closing up on the week. So that's great news. That's great news. Now, with that being said, you know, I do always strive to learn new things, me personally. And I'm always listening to a lot of different voices. That's why I oftentimes do reference people like, you know, Craig Hemke or, or my video yesterday was Alistair McLeod. Um, earlier, uh, I think it was last night, I was listening to a podcast from earlier this week, uh, Luke Roman um, from uh, Forge for the Trees. Uh, and, and what he was discussing in a uh, interview with Eric Townsend of Macro Voices was some, I guess, bigger picture dollar, the dollar situation heading into the fall. And he brought up a very good point talking about the the debt ceiling, right? That, that's been in the news lately again with uh, some estimates that, that the debt ceiling uh, may be reached or breached sometime in the first half of September, which is actually getting pretty close, right? We're already basically halfway through July, so another two months away. And the the idea behind the dollar was that, that yeah, the debt ceiling, that's another talk. I'm sure I'll talk about it in a future episode if, if it starts to get dicey uh, in that, in that uh you know, Congress not acting on it. But what was really interesting is is when the U.S. government, when when we hit our debt ceiling. Now, I'm not clear on the specifics of this because I'm I'm no expert on the inner workings of the Treasury and their issuance of Treasuries. But basically, as we we head into this period, which began I think in March or April. When we basically hit this debt ceiling, uh, Treasury issuance declines, meaning fewer dollars are needed to buy Treasuries, which in theory should uh, help. It'd be a downward pressure on the dollar, right? Which is is kind of working in opposition to this current Euro dollar squeeze that that is underway, or many people believe is underway right now. So, and, and additionally. If, if you look at something, you can even check this out for yourself at the St. Louis Fed and, and their statistics that they keep. Uh, the Treasury keeps what's called a, I think for the Fed, they call it the general account um, for, for the Treasury. And basically what this amounts to is a cash account um, that the Treasury has to to spend. Okay, And historically, especially since this whole debt ceiling talk has really 
made some people nervous that the, we're going to default on debt. The Treasury has made a habit of adding more and more dollars to this Treasury General account, uh, a couple hundred billion, as a cushion, right? Because they know that Congress can be unpredictable. Now, the idea behind this is that they issue that debt beforehand in order to then throw it into this account, thus taking liquidity out of the system because people have to buy those bonds. However, when we're in this period where the debt ceiling has been reached and, and we're kind of waiting for it to eventually uh, be raised or, or breached, the Treasury winds down that general account because they got to spend the money to, to make ends meet, thus providing extra liquidity to the system. What Luke would describe as, as a, a mini QE, right? And this is something I've, I don't know if I've talked about on this channel. This is some, you know, like I said, I'm always learning. And this is something I had learned uh a series of months ago, this idea and how that type of mini QE or in some cases QT can contribute to moves in the markets as well as moves in you know the stock markets, but also moves in the bond market and the dollar. Now, the reason I bring this up, okay, this is a long-winded explanation, but but I like to be educational for you guys uh, and gals or whoever's listening. But, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because what that means is that for a series of months now, the Treasury, and again, you, this is reflected by the Fed's statistics, has been winding down that balance, buying stuff basically, right? Making ends meet. And that is providing liquidity to the system, which uh, uh, mini QE, which would basically be bearish for the dollar, or it would be driving the dollar down, right? Now, what that means is that whenever this ends up getting worked out, and, and who knows, I, I, you know, the odds of being breached are pretty low at this point. So when, let's say, when Congress eventually does outraise the the the, the debt ceiling, what that means is that now the Treasury is going to have to uh, not, not only stop winding down that balance, but actually replenish it, right? Thus issuing a couple hundred extra billion dollars worth of Treasury bonds, sapping liquidity out of the system, and potentially driving up the dollar. Now, this is all potential, right? And, and if you listen to the podcast, I highly suggest you guys start listening to Macro Voices on a, on a weekly basis. They have many podcasts throughout the week. He talks about, hey, why he's not super bullish long-term on the dollar for a variety of reasons, but you know, in the next six to 12 months, as he believes, there's going to be some drastic easing from the Fed because of fiscal reasons and, and other reasons, and, and I, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, but I, I just wanted to bring that up, that that's something to consider that that could partly explain gold and to some extent silver strength during what is normally a pretty negative time of the year, the summer, and maybe a reason to, you know, potential headwind for gold heading into the fall. But but there's many more factors besides just that. Just something I want to bring up and, and maybe a bit of education, something to, to pay attention to. Now, another thing I want to talk about real quick here, two more topics real quick. First of all, I want to talk about, this is an article from Barron's that I saw uh, right before I actually started recording this. And, and this is news that I had heard before, but, but the title of this article is Negative Yielding Government Bonds Are Old Hat. Now investors are paying to hold corporate debt. And this is just, again, a reminder of the crazy times that we live in and, and the bubbles that are out there, right? Um, if, if you're ever wondering, you know, what the big, in terms of assets, what the biggest bubbles are out there right now, uh, the stock market, just like I was saying earlier, cryptos are, are small potatoes compared to the U.S. dollar in terms of criminal activity. The stock market is small potatoes, 
in terms of it being a bubble compared to the bond market, considering that something like 12 or $13 trillion worth of government debt worldwide is currently yielding negative interest rates. Negative. I mean, think that, about, think that over. Basically, investors are buying this with the knowledge that they're going to lose money at maturity. What does that make sense? I mean, the only way that, that makes sense, two things. Okay, either A, they're betting on yields going further down, which would mean a rise in bonds, and then they're going to sell them. Or else, they think that deflation is actually going to you know, be greater than the actual negative yield on these bonds. It's crazy. But, but what this article is talking about is that it's not just government debt anymore, that there's actually $600 billion worth of corporate debt that carries a negative yield. It's insane. A negative yield on corporate debt, right? And many of this is considered like, I, I imagine that the negative yield in corporate debt is, is some of the better corporate debt out there. But what that means is that you have, have stuff like junk bonds, right? Because the whole corporate debt market, especially in like a place like the EU, the whole, um, um, uh, you know, levels of debt or whatever are moving down, meaning that you have uh, something like junk bonds that are like 2 or 3%, and that's what they're yielding. I mean, it's crazy. And yet that is the world that we live in, and that is you know, just how large these bubbles are getting. 12 or $13 trillion worth of government debt and $600 billion worth of corporate debt that is currently negative. Anyways, the final thing I wanted to talk about today heading into the weekend is uh, the Gulf of Mexico and the uh, storm that is currently off the coast of uh, Louisiana right now. Uh, currently, I think, tropical storm Barry, potentially category one hurricane barry for landfall not quite sure yet uh but uh, tropical storm you know when you think of that i mean compared to some of the hurricanes that have struck in the last couple of years and small potatoes right uh, but this uh has potential to be pretty serious and and first of all I, i'd love to hear from any of my listeners that are potentially in the path and and certainly it's something that will be on my mind and, and something that will be in my prayers uh, in the coming days. You know, the worry about this one is that uh, the uh, New Orleans and, and much of Louisiana, southern Louisiana in particular, has already been drenched over the last couple of days with rain, uh, last week or two. Already some flooding in New Orleans that is, I don't know if it's associated with Barry, but I mean Barry's still quite a bit ways out from, from landfall. Had been just some outer bands that that dumped like something like ten inches of rain in some places, and yet uh, the the tropical storm itself is looking like it could drop over twenty inches of rain in some areas, including around New Orleans. And of course, you know we learned in two thousand five from Hurricane Katrina, New Orleans is a bowl that happens to sit you know under sea level, and so it's a big risk here. And then the other one is is that uh, currently uh, now this one's a bit of a I guess you can say a tail risk to to borrow a financial term, but but the other risk here is that New Orleans uh, or the Mississippi River that runs through it is uh, has been running really high. I mean, usually when hurricanes or tropical storms uh, hit Louisiana, it's usually much later in the year and rivers have, have come down quite a bit. But, you know, prior to this even hitting, I mean, it's uh, not too far off from from flood levels, you know, minor, you know, flood levels in in you know, as it passes through New Orleans uh, because of the amount of rain and because of the time of year. And what that means is it's going to be drenched with even more rain plus um, 
uh, at least a somewhat significant storm surge, which could back up the river. And the big fear here is, you know, will those levees hold or will they be topped in some places around New Orleans or, or you know, surrounding communities? So, um, again, something I'll, I'll try and keep in my prayers over the coming days, but also that the financial impact of this is going to be uh, pretty broad spread, right? I, I always talk about the economic side of, of things like hurricanes and natural disasters. And, of course, you have those, I don't know, can I just call them crackpot economists that say that, you know, hurricanes are good for the economy, right? The broken window fallacy that think all the uh, economic growth that that it will stimulate when um, <laughs> people have to replace their, their uh, you know, gut their entire basement or their first floor because of flooding. I mean, that's a, it's a ridiculous argument, right? Like, yeah, it stimulates economic growth, but uh, let's talk opportunity cost here. Where would that money be spent elsewhere? It'd be spent on recreation, would have been put in savings, it would have, um, uh, you know, funded um, expansion of businesses or something like that, uh, would have been invested. Or in many cases, it's not even, I mean, for a lot of these communities, it's not even money they have, right? It's just debt, right? Loans that are taken out. Now, I mean, some of it may be covered by insurance. But even then, I mean, there's a cost to those insurance companies. I mean, there's a cost. Somebody has to bear that cost at some point. And, you know, we're probably going to be talking in the tens, many tens of billions of dollars worth of damage, probably in the hundreds of billions worth if, you know, some levies fail or, or if this turns out to be really bad for New Orleans itself. So, I mean, that's the broken window fallacy is, is absolutely ridiculous. So so be warned when you hear it from from. Uh, pundits on on CNBC or something. Uh, this is just going to be more debt to be added to this system, right? Over the next uh, series of months or years that that it takes to to bail themselves out from another major flood in New Orleans. But but again, I'd love to hear from you if you're in the path: New Orleans, Southern Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Arkansas, etc. Anyways, uh, I hope you guys all have a great weekend, and thank you guys once again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.